and asked, Can God forgive anything? Can he forgive anyone? Now there was an unspoken, even me, at the end of that question. So I did the pastor thing. We don't answer questions directly outright. We answer questions with a question. To get people talking, to get them thinking. So I ask him, why do you ask that question? And he said to me, I'm going to tell you a story. And you're not going to believe it. But I swear to you, it's all true. And when we're done, you go Google it. It's on the internet. And it's all facts. And he proceeded to lay out a story to me of the things he'd done and the places he'd been. He told me about the Russian mafia. He told me about acts that he had done as an enforcer, as a person who hurt people for money. He told me about being a hitman, murder. He told me about police corruption. He told me about sex trafficking, little girls for money to the United States. He told me this story of despair and pain of which he had been the heart of. You see, I'd met this kid before when he was much younger, and I hadn't seen him in years. But here he was this morning in front of me, looking for some sort of answer, some sort of redemption, with the question, can God save anybody? Will he forgive anything, even the things I've done? Well, to answer that for us, we have to know the gospel. We have to get the gospel. We have to truly understand what the gospel is. And that's why we're going through this series right now of Romans. We're studying Romans, and we have the tagline, getting the gospel. It's not getting the gospel like someone handing you the gospel. It's getting it. It's getting it in here. It's getting it in your gut and understanding the depth and power and strength and breadth and life that is the gospel. And why it affects the story of a young man like this. And more importantly, why it helps the story for ourselves. To recognize why we come and sit here on a Sunday morning. To recognize what drives our lives as followers of Jesus. We have to get the gospel. Now we're reading today in Romans 3, beginning at verse 21. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, uh, Romans is in the New Testament. If you are new to your Bible and you don't know it, feel free to look at the table of contents. But we're looking at Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. And the Apostle Paul, the writer of Romans, has been building this argument. He's been leading up to a point. He's, he's giving us the theology behind the theology. He's explaining to us how God works. And it's not so simple that it can just all be summed up in one sermon about what's best for your life now. It truly is something that takes a little bit of history and a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of understanding to get. But the beauty of it is once you get it, it's a story that could be told to little children that they'll understand. It's a story that you can tell yourself and you'll understand once you get it. 
First, we have to understand, Apostle Paul's been talking about this concept of righteousness, of understanding what is right and how you are made right in life. (coughs) And the thing we have to recognize is every man's way seems right to him. It says that in the Bible. Every man's way seems right to him. (coughs) But God looks on the heart. That's Proverbs 21. (coughs) Pardon me. We are all heroes in our own story, right? I mean, when we look at ourselves, we think, yeah, I've pretty much got things figured out most of the time. Not so sure about the other people, but I've sort of got it understood. But what is that righteousness? How do we understand the truth of that? Last week, Pastor David talked about God as our guideline, our north star of righteousness, understanding that there is a truth and a perfection in God that lets us line things up. He told the story of a, of a man who was uh, in a boat, and for the life of me, I can't remember him, but he was lost at sea, and he was able to take sticks and figure out how, how, or how to figure out how to get home. He was able to figure out where he was and how to follow a route home. It was an amazing story to hear, but that's what God is for us. He's that one thing we can depend on as a line that explains this is right. This is the way things ought to be. Thank you very much. There's ice in it. So we have this one thing to understand. This is right. God is righteous. He is right. This is what we can line up with. But what about our righteousness? Do we line up with that when we're there? Well, the truth is no. And it doesn't take much common sense to see that as we look in the world. To look around and recognize that people don't get it right all the time. I mean, it's really easy to look out there, drive in the freeways on Phoenix pretty much any time. People don't get it right. People cheat on their taxes. People tell simple white lies all the time that we don't even think about. It's really easy to look and see other people being jerks. The question is, am I righteous? Do I line up with God? Let's go to our text this morning. and We're going to start actually at verse 23 and then kick back a little bit to get the rest of the story. Uh, Let me read this to you and then we'll talk about it. I'm I'm sorry, I'm going to start at verse 21. We'll come back and look at verse 23. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ Jesus. This is perhaps... I think the hinge verse 
that he's been leading up to in Romans. He's been coming to this point right here. We're going to start at verse 23, like I said. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Anybody left out of that? Anybody got it right? Except It's everybody except me? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's an echo of what Pastor David covered last week with Romans 3.10. No man is righteous. No, not even one. Nobody. If we've got this line, this post that is God that we can guide by and say, this is straight up and down. This is the way to go. Not one of us is lined up perfectly with that. Nobody. Not me. Not you. Not the most mature believer you know who seems to have it all down, Pat. Not your grandma who was such a sweet, nice woman she never did anybody wrong. Nobody. This is the key hinge to understand the gospel. Because as long as we think, hey, I'm pretty good, it's those other people who have problems, we're not going to get the gospel. We don't understand the depth of what we need. We don't understand where we are in position to understand to where we can go. When Pastor David talked about that, what was that man's name last week? The man in the boat. When the pastor doesn't remember his own story, that's okay. So this man, this is a true story, so it's not a preacher story. I try to avoid preacher stories where you just sort of say there was this man in a boat. No, this was a real guy stuck in a leaky, sinking lifeboat. <coughs> to realize that he needed to get home, he had to understand where he was. He was in a leaky, sinking boat in the middle of the ocean. If he thought, hey, everything's okay, no biggie. You think he ever would have got home? He had to understand his need. He had to recognize he's in a sinking boat. Things aren't okay. We have to understand where we are in measure of God to understand how much we need him and how much better it's going to be when we follow him and how much better it's going to be when he makes it all better. There's no hope if we don't realize. But here's the beauty of it all. When you do realize that no one, not even me, not even you, is righteous. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we all desperately need God. That's where the most beautiful thing happens in this passage. There's two words there that Martin Lloyd-Jones, a British uh, preacher who specialized in Romans, in the theology of Romans, he said they're the most two beautiful words in Scripture. But now. That was then, but now. It was one way before. You were in sin. You were desperate needing God. But now something has happened. Something has changed things. Something has rocked everything. But now. There's this righteousness apart from the law. We don't need the law, the law that the Jewish people followed. We don't need the law to make us righteous because it was never enough by itself. But now 
there's something new. But now we have salvation. But now we have an answer to that righteousness question. And it is faith in Christ Jesus. Righteousness through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. You see, it just got done telling us all fall short of the glory of God. All sin. But all are freely justified by grace through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. Well, that's the part where you're supposed to stand up and cheer. All are saved through Christ Jesus, through faith in Him. You see, it talked about, you know, you've got that, that post, that line, that one true perfect thing. If you've ever worked on building a building, that's one of the things that's so important to do is to have one guide that lets you know things are straight up and down. Things are plumb. There, there's this casino in Las Vegas called Aria. And when you stand there, you can look at it, and it could be one of the most beautiful buildings you've ever seen, or it could drive you a little bit nuts because there's not a straight line in the whole thing. It looks like the buildings are about to tip over. Now, it was built that way intentionally, at least I assume. But would you want to live in a house where things weren't straight up and down, where you weren't sure it would stand up on any given day, where it might fall over at the first monsoon rain that comes through? If you've got that one thing to line up with, that one post, that one plumb line that tells you this is straight up and down, then you can kick every other wall into line with that. And here's the thing, following the law, the Old Testament law, was like trying to kick that in yourself. You could try all you want, it just doesn't quite get in. God provides something that draws us tight. It draws us in line with what is right, what is up and down, what is perfect. That north star that we follow. We can all be brought into that, into that righteousness through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus and our faith in that. You see, when we recognize that we aren't righteous, we have to recognize something else. We owe a debt. When my kids do something wrong, they owe a debt. When they disobey, they owe something for what they've done. If I break the law and the police officer arrests me and takes me before a judge, the judge is going to tell me I owe a debt and he's going to tell me what it is. It could be money, it could be jail time, it could be any number of things. If we have lived a life in this universe that is sinful and falls short of the glory of God, that means we owe a debt. Whatever we've done from the smallest thing to the biggest thing, there is a debt owed. That means we're not exactly lined up the way we're supposed to be lined up. And the deal is, there's nothing any one of us can do to fix that by ourselves. To become perfect, to become exact, to become true, there's nothing any one of us can do to, to come in line with that. The gospel message is that God recognized that need. He recognized there was nothing we could do. In fact, he gave us the law so we could kind of get the hint. We could try to live as perfectly as we want all the time, and we're never going to line up perfect. And so he said, okay, I got this. And in comes Christ Jesus. In comes the Messiah who redeems us. He is a sacrifice of atonement to pay for our debt. You see, we don't really get that in our culture. i got to be honest with you. There's something that, 
that people would get in the past that we don't because we don't have prisoners of war the way they used to. We don't have slavery in our lives the way they used to. To recognize that you could be captured in, in a war because, you know, if you're a common everyday guy and your king goes to war, guess what you got to do? If you're just a farmer or a regular working man, you go to war. And if you get captured, the only way for you to get back is for someone to buy you back, to pay your debt to that other tribe. If, you're, if you sell yourself into slavery, which was something that was very common at this time, if you couldn't pay your debts, you could sell yourself into slavery, into servitude, so you could pay back your debts. How do you get back? You get back by someone paying that debt off. I, I, mean, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never experienced that. But to hear the description of that and to recognize what it would take to buy another human being back. That actually happens nowadays. There's a justice mission, a Christian group who goes in and they basically collect donations from people around and they buy slaves out of slavery in India and in Africa and set them up for a new life. Gosh, could you imagine that? Could you imagine being that hopeless and someone coming in and paying your debt and rescue, rescuing you out of that? Well, try and imagine that because that's what exists here with the gospel message is that you can't buy yourself out. You can't get yourself free. You need Jesus Christ. Every one of us does. That idea of redeeming something, someone is so much more powerful. than I mean, we use the word redeem. We talk about redeeming a coupon. A big deal, 50 cents off of ice cream. No, this is redeeming a life, paying for somebody's very soul. And it's like God had a plan here. He talks in verse 25 about his forbearance. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. And in his forbearance, in his patience, in his longstanding love, he let sins go without punishment to the point that Christ could come and be that redeemer for everyone who'd come before who would accept that, who lived in faith of God, and everyone who came after, all of us who have faith in Christ Jesus, would be redeemed. It's almost like he's got a plan, a beautiful plan. In fact, if you know the, probably the famous verse from every football game, John 3.16, that goes on to tell us a little bit more. Maybe you've heard some of it. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what we get if we believe. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. And whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. And people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that they have what has been done in the sight of God. You see, that beautiful morning sitting in that coffee shop, that young man's question, can God forgive anything? Can God forgive anyone? He was desperately asking for himself, but the question is one for all of us. And the answer is yes. 
He can forgive everyone. Yes, he can save anyone. Yes, he does forgive anything. All we have to do is accept that gift. All we have to do is have faith in Christ Jesus. Now there's discussion about how much God calls us and how much we respond, but ultimately the gospel is for all who believe. And the gospel is a challenge for each of us to respond. And we have to, one way or the other, either with the words I believe or the words I don't believe. You see, that young man was asking, would God save a murderer, a slaver, a rapist, an abuser, a violent, evil man? Could he save him? He was desperately asking me that for that answer, for that hope. But it goes on for others, too. When I talk with my uh, LGBT friends, they ask me, well, God, you know, is, is this Christianity thing for gay people? Or when I talk with my atheist friends, they always like to give the example of their grandma who never did a sin in her life and she's perfect. Well, you know, would he actually condemn her if she doesn't believe? You see, the answer to all of these questions come down not to individual sins. Because we could list out gossip and lies and stealing and theft and all hundreds of things that you might ever do that could be listed as sin. But there is only one sin that condemns us. And that sin of not believing in Christ Jesus. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. It's only one sin that sends you to hell. That's the sin of not believing. And God is there with open hands and open gift for you. And we can lift, list off all these other sins and people get hung up on what's good, what's bad, and what I'm allowed to do and what I'm not allowed to do. But truly, it comes down to whether or not we accept God. You see, when that young man asked me that question about God forgiving him in a, as a murder, it's a good question, especially when you think of the guy who wrote Romans. The Apostle Paul was a murderer. He was complicit in murder. He was complicit in slavery. He was complicit in abuse. He hurt people. And then God saved him. And God was able to forgive him for the things he did. And it changed everything about his life. The answer I gave to that, my young friend that morning in the coffee house was yes. God can and does save anyone, and he does forgive anything. The question is, do you accept that grace? Can you accept that gift from God? Can you recognize that that boat you're in is leaking and that you desperately need a way out? There's no work you can do. There's no rule following you can do. You can do everything you think is perfect in the world, and you will never truly line up with that North Star with that post that is straight, that is God. The Bible tells us all we have to do is repent and believe. And repenting is recognizing your sin. And here's a little hint I'll give you. When you come to Christ and you recognize your sin, I guarantee you don't even grasp a tiny, tiny bit of it. I've been a Christian for 23 years myself. And I'm not sure I truly grasp the depth, but I do grasp that I do need Christ. For those of us who've been 
Christians for a while, this message can kind of get like, oh yeah, we know that. I've heard that before. But it's something we need to refresh in ourselves regularly. Because if we don't understand the depth and the importance of this, how can we communicate it to those who don't know? If you're someone who doesn't know this, or if you're starting to just grasp it and you want to talk about it, Pastor David, Pastor Bernie, and myself, we're available anytime if you want to talk. That coffee offer is absolutely serious. We'd love to tell you about Christ and about what he's done and about what that means to you in your life and invite you on this journey that we're all on here. We ain't perfect. We're just trying to do a little better every day. We're trying to follow our God in faith as best as we can. But the start of that ultimately is in this hinge in the book of Romans where we recognize that we've all sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And the only hope that we have is in our master, Christ Jesus.